Linux OTC. Welcome to episode 19. We're your hosts. I'm Bill. I'm Eric. I'm Majid. And I'm Leo. I'm always last, man. I'm always last. <laughs> well, and we got to get somebody with a... Actually, you should have been before Majid, but... Why? Why? L-M-N-O-P-Q-R-S. That should be last then, isn't it? Yeah. yeah but then, then Dio can't do his, and I'm not doing it. I know. Yeah. That's, that's oh, true. hey, I didn't think that's about true. that. Yeah. That's true, though. That doesn't fit otherwise. Yeah, it is what it is. And this is all going into the show. Well, of course, it's fantastic content. It's all we need. Content. It is. It's all about content, content nowadays. No, Speaking we're talking of content, heads, man. What have we got besides nothing, by the way? Because well, I got nothing. Point. That's the point. I got nothing except for the new Audacity, and we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I, well, I, I, I seem to be doing musical chairs with my distros. Yeah, you're on Farron OS now. How's that going for you? Yeah, so basically, last time I was on here, I was running Ubuntu, Farron, and Manjaro, and now I'm still running Ubuntu, Ferran, and Manjaro, but on different machines. At the same time? Well, not at the same time. No, I'm not, I'm not Moss. So was the um, thinking that you wanted to see how they ran on the different systems? Uh, no, the, no, it was more to do with... <clears throat> so, so I had Ubuntu on my laptop. I uh, wanted to distro hop because I get bored. I wanted to try um, Ferran. So I, inst- so I got rid of the Ubuntu install and put Ferran on. I then realized that it didn't have touchpad gestures. And although KD does work with touchscreens, it's not really a touchscreen thing in the way that GNOME is. Is that an so X I- thing? Like X versus Wayland thing? Uh, apparently so. Yeah. Although having said that, there are plenty of distros that are on X that also have touchpad gestures. So I don't... Right. Much- that's touch it- egg. To- okay. People yeah, told yeah. me that it's not touch egg yeah it's touche but it's spelled no it's spelled touch egg it is yeah, no, touch egg i'm yeah, sorry that's what i thought as well but anyway yeah so then so then i decided okay <laughs> fine i'm gonna um I, I thought you know what this actually looks this would be better with a mouse and keyboard so I, I then decided that my ubuntu install on my main machine which is this one i got rid of that and put a uh, ferron os on this and then um uh put manjaro gnome onto the laptop and um so interesting things about Ferrin. Ferrin is ba- the reason why I was interested was that it's basically mint but with KDE. I mean that's not strictly true, but I mean it kind of, it might as well be. You know, it's got all the mint tools, it's got the mint updates, it's got the software store, everything like that. So um but it's KDE because because uh, mint don't do a KDE version anymore, do they? I know they used to. Since they don't 18, they, like, yeah. 18 was the last one that, that they shipped to KDE yeah. desktop. So so I, I'm, I'm quite liking it, enjoying it. It looks really nice. It's um, it's performant. It means, I, it means I can play around and make customize it in the way that I couldn't necessarily customize Cinnamon when I use that. Manjaro Gnome, I've surprisingly enjoyed. Um, and you're on 45, th- right? Yeah. Yes. The reason I say I've surprisingly enjoyed is I thought... Because every when I've read about Manjaro, it's always about the KDE spin and about how much work they've put on the KDE spin to make it look, you know, give it its own kind of uh, aesthetic. Um, 
So I thought that Manjaro gnome would be just be like vanilla, like fedora style. It's not. Nice. Uh, it, uh, it, it's the, it's themed quite well. It's got you know its specific tools and stuff like that. It's yeah. very performant, I must say. I mean, it's not exactly a wimp that uh, laptop that I've got, but even then, it works really well. The um, they use a lot of extensions. Di- yeah, they do. Yeah, is, yeah. Okay. One of the it is a different cool way of doing things, though. It's, sorry, it's a different way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Arch. And it's not arch isn't something I've got any experience with, so I it, it is a bit mm. of a learning curve there. Um, yeah, sorry, Eric, you were saying. No, it's okay. I was just going to say the the interesting thing about you're right. Maybe people don't know that the GNOME version is um, pretty bespoke. You know, just really a lot of effort goes into it. And what they sort of have done is grab all these different extensions in terms of customizing the desktop and give you the like a desktop layout chooser which i think yeah. is kind of cool where you can pick the style that you want and that's kind of like a zorin os thing yeah where there's that's in zorin as well and, and i'm not sure where that extension ex- originated but so you have that you have um yeah there's just a lot of stuff built in to let you it, it is radically not just vanilla yeah yeah <laughs> like yeah not which even is close. which as i said i i wasn't expecting um so uh and the thing is that I've said it before at nauseum. Gnome really does work well when you've got a touch screen and laptop and, you know, with touchpad gestures, it's on a Wayland session, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think, ah, yes. Speaking of which, you got your, um, tablet. Um, mm-hmm. what have you, what did you decide to put on there? Well, uh, a couple broke from a couple things. So I've been wanting to try Fedora um the 29 or 39 beta and mm-hmm. that gave me a couple things one a very vanilla gnome session yeah yeah and then also wayland mm-hmm. so i haven't done very much with wayland this is my only non nvidia piece of hardware okay um so yeah it's it's actually been great i i had it it got delivered right before i went to the hospital and my wife brought it up to me and so i the time i spent there i was just playing around with it um, I tried Pop OS and regular Ubuntu and Plasma, just a bunch of different stuff, Cinnamon. But in terms of like just using it on a touchscreen, GNOME like suddenly makes a lot of sense. And vanilla yeah. GNOME in particular suddenly makes a lot of sense. You're yeah. like, oh, I get it. So I'm still not entirely sure why, considering that it's a desktop environment uh, on regular computers with a mouse and keyboard, why they've leaned so heavily into that des- design aesthetic. Cause I still don't think it makes a lot of sense in that application. I still want to, you know, a, a, a dock or, you know, a task bar or some sort of, you know, static, mm-hmm. uh, you know, way to interact with applications. I want to be able to window things and move stuff around, but on a smaller screen, touch screen, smaller touch screen, I guess it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, it works really well. There's some nice gesture support. Um, the on-screen keyboard works really well. So yeah, it, it um, and and having Fedora with um, with Wayland was definitely interesting as well because I thought for sure I was going to miss things, global shortcuts, uh, some other things that uh, you know I I just had run into problems with previously, and I really didn't. I mean, I, it runs great. This, the fractional scaling worked, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I've, got, I've got a couple of theories on this. 
none of which have a huge amount of evidence. So, you know, feel free to ignore. <laughs> but but um, one theory is that they did a little bit of a Microsoft in that they thought that touchscreens were going to completely permeate everywhere and on all mm. devices. And so started very early on going towards a touch paradigm. You know, you remember Windows 8. I mean, Windows 8 is over 10 years old now, right? Yeah, and I think that, I, the whole GNOME thing started about the same time as the Windows yeah, exactly. 8 thing. And, yeah, three. I, yeah. and, and, and the reality is, is that it hasn't as much, you know, yeah, we've got, you know, it, you, you do get a lot of laptops with touchscreens, but interestingly, you don't get Macs with touchscreens yet. And so I think people still aren't necessarily, it's not, um, it's not a have to feature for a lot of people in a laptop or a device, uh, you know, a, a computing device. If they want a touchscreen, they'll just get an iPad or a an Android phone or whatever. Yeah, I, so, I've often so, wondered so, because I wonder how many people that have touchscreen laptops and just don't use them because my wife's got one, a Dell, really nice Dell with an i5 and it's got the touchscreen. She just, she uses plasma on it and has never I, I touched have, the screen. I've never once in my entire laptop computing life have ever thought, you know, it'd be way quicker if I could poke it instead. Yeah. Never. I mean, you know what would look great on my screen is a bunch of fingerprints and yeah. and drippings also, from exactly. donut icing exactly. and everything. Yeah. Okay, true. But if you do get one and you do start using icing. it, yeah, then <laughs> after a while, it becomes second nature to do it. And you miss it when it's not not miss it. You know, you can obviously manage without a touchscreen laptop. Talk about your first world problem. But I mean, um, if you're used, to, if you're used to it, it does sometimes. You know, you do find yourself when I'm when you're on a non touchscreen kind of pointing towards it. Now, admittedly, I've been using touchscreen laptops since oh god, how long? Twenty fourteen, twenty thirteen. You know, a long time. I, I so think I that has a lot I'm, more to do with it. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm sure that's what yeah. it is, you know. Because yeah. um, I use uh, I use an iPad Pro with the uh, with the little keyboard docky sit up, basically yeah, making a laptop thing at yeah. work. No, no, not a Magic Keyboard. This is the this is like the Folio thing where you. Oh, can, okay, okay, okay. And so I mean, it is. I mean, it is big enough to be like a 12 inch laptop. That is what this thing is. Wow. And uh, and it's you know, there's no mouse to it unless you bring in a Magic Mouse or you get the right kind of Bluetooth mouse to to work with it. Um. And so, I, but I've never, I've never got off of that device and got onto a real laptop and think, thought, um, man, if I could just swipe to the next app. No, I just alt or well, command tab in a case like mm. that to get to it, and it's way faster than having to reach. Yeah. So that was my first theory. The second theory I've got is that having then gone down this road, and it may not necessarily. Uh, Having one gone down this road, they realized that one of the benefits, if you want to look at it that way, is that GNOME can get out of your way if you want mm. to concentrate on a specific app at a specific time. I don't know whether you're coding or video editing or whatever, and you don't want distractions and you don't want other things, then it lends itself a bit more to that. And so I, because you, 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 they, they talk a lot about workflow. You know, if you ever look at like the GNOME promotional material and stuff, there's always a lot about getting your work done, about workflow, about, um, 
being removing distractions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so because um, before I put Ferron on this uh, device here, I actually had for the first time uh, put uh, Ubuntu GNOME, you know, the vanilla Ubuntu on here, because I thought to myself, I've not actually tried, the, uh, you know, GNOME on a uh, a normal desktop with a you know keyboard and mouse and whatever, and it is true, it does get out of the way. And it does let you concentrate on what it is that you want to do. Um, so that, that's, that's my second, uh, theory as to why GNOME is the way that it is. Yeah. What else is there? Unless, unless the point of you running a Linux desktop is to rice the desktop. What is the point of a desktop? That's it. Get mm. out of the way. Let me, let me work on the audio or the video or the whatever project it is that I'm running on. Mm-hmm. I think if, because you've said that, you've described a, an, an almost perfect desktop. <laughs> well, and, yeah. and honestly, for me, using a smaller uh, smaller screen, 12 and a half inch screen on this, um, that's absolutely true. And I could see, you know, as the screen gets smaller, the need for real estate grows. And so using vanilla GNOME on here versus, you know, something like Ubuntu where they've got the, you know, the dock on the left and all of that stuff, it really does let you have just that extra amount of space. Uh, and then with the scaling that Wayland gives you, you can tune it. So if I need, if, if yeah, it was, was going between like 125 and 150, so on 125, it's a pretty big space, but it's also a lot smaller. So if it's text heavy, then it's hard to kind of, you kind of want to, yeah. you know, so 150 is great for doing like documents or email or stuff like that. I do and a lot of writing one, and 150 on my framework is absolutely pleasant. It's fantastic. I think if you do the math, it's basically like 1600 by 900. And I mean, the the 1080p folks will be like, oh, that's terrible, but it's perfect yeah. for writing. And then I noticed I was doing some things where I wanted a little extra space Um you know, either having multiple windows open or just something that needed, uh, you know, I needed to see more things at one time went up, went down to 125 and that gives you a lot more room, but still that extra 25% makes it visible versus a hundred percent on this size screen is just too small. You know, it's, Mm. I I can't even read what's on there. So yeah, fractional scaling is fantastic. And so that, that's been great. The gesture support in Wayland has been really good. Um, you know, I just, we're, we're very close. We're very close. And those last mile problems, I think the more people we can convince to just at least use it part of the time, you know, if you, yeah, I think, um, oh yeah, yeah. I've been, uh, I've been on Ubuntu, uh, 23, what is it? 2310. That's the one I just, yeah, 2310. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think that that last mile is kind of fixed up for me now. Uh, I have not, since I've been running it, uh, thought about leaving it. And that says a lot because I'm a Mint fan. Um, but Mint's going to be another couple iterations, like major iterations before they before they fully embrace Wayland. Um, yeah, I saw the but, news thing saying, uh, was it 2026, something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, well, but, you'll have the option before that, but oh, of they're course, not going to. Yeah. And, and I suppose it'll still be X by default at that point, but uh, yeah, it'll be, right. you know, Cinnamon will be running on Wayland and ready to use and especially test, right? Um, but I think GNOME on Wayland right now, GNOME 45 specifically on Wayland has pretty much handled it. My, my last big stopper was, um, scaling on one screen and then plugging up to a 1080p screen. The scaling switch that you get whenever you, when you go from one screen to the other, um, was 
bad. And I think <laughs> I think most of it wasn't GNOME itself. It was apps. So I think I, I should be praising the apps more because uh, I know the Firefox Snap is Wayland first now. Not all Firefoxes, but the Firefox Snap is Wayland first. Um, as well as uh, there are a lot of apps now that actually support the Wayland backend, like Discord. Which so you don't have surprising. to go into the flags and, and enable the Wayland support? Not if you use the Snap, Bill. Oh, no. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So if you do it the arch way, you still got to do it the hard way, which yeah, I guess well. those words are synonymous anyway. But, um, but yeah. We're a bunch then, of sadists. Yeah. Uh, Discord is the same way. That was a big stopper for me because uh, it's a lot of reading in Discord. So um, they now support a Wayland backend through the Snap. And that's that's another thing is I think uh, because it's Ubuntu-centric and Ubuntu runs on Wayland and the Snapcraft is an Ubuntu thing that whether or not the apps get updated, whatever, um, the apps look to that desktop for what they should enable and what they should keep back. And because of that... Uh, all the apps that I use run fantastically on a Wayland desktop, whether or not uh, I, I suppose they're using the Wayland backend. They have to because I'm scaling and they all look fantastic and not blurry, except Bitwarden. <laughs> Bitwarden still looks terrible, but I don't look at it that much. So I'm I'm a little bit of a lay person when it comes to this. I genuinely just haven't had a lot of interest and in, so I haven't spent a lot of time. I, to me, something like X Wayland seems like that sort of bridge between apps that have been already updated and are ready and apps that aren't. And is am I thinking of it in the right way? Like X Wayland is like sort of that. It's a full X server running that allows X apps to be spawned and, and it's run. It's a trimmed the- X environment uh, to okay. run X applications on a Wayland environment. So uh, if the apps are ready, like you were kind of describing before, if the apps are ready, then you don't need X Wayland anymore. They're just running on Wayland. So yeah. uh, there's no need. But the cool thing is when they're running on Wayland, they scale perfectly. So you get that, you get that, you get what you expect when you set it to 125 so, or 150 scale. So, so can, I, can I, in my tiny lizard brain, can I equate X Wayland to something like Proton? Yes. Where it's, okay. That's kind of what I was thinking how That's it worked. A, and I wasn't X Wayland is sure. a translation layer for X so that those applications can run on Wayland. Awesome. Okay. Because yeah. otherwise, Wayland wouldn't know how to draw them and because uh, they don't respect a lot of the rules that Wayland has put in place, which arguably maybe there are too many rules, but... Yeah, uh, it's you know, I, substantial. I love security, and anybody that also loves security probably has a little bit of a hatred for X um, just because of the way that, that you can reach around the keystrokes yeah, your, be, be able yeah, to, not, yeah and not just yeah. that just like you're able to look into other apps so yeah wayland's doing a good thing even if it is a little rough so that that's where portals come in then right so that's where you start getting portals yeah. or supporting okay yeah i, yep, I just have the wayland portals that, into... that yeah and uh flatpak supports them so the apps integrate in fantastically that way uh yeah 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 exactly that's exactly it's this whole okay. big gnome ecosystem thing which I'm, is why I'm i think to put it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th- this is why i think the gnome experience is better than the other experiences on wayland because gnome and the groups that support gnome like red hat and canonical are pushing it forward this it's why the experience is good that the money's there so it, so the only other desktop really is Plasma that supports mm-hmm. a Wayland session, right? K-Win. Um, I watched the – I just watched Nico's video on uh, 
I, I forget the title of it, but it's the latest one he did around Wayland. And um, I suppose and it was, was a saying, YouTube title, so it was eighteen words long, right? Yeah, probably. And, and <laughs> but it was basically the gist that the the you know the plasma team was thinking like, do we redo a compositors? But then you know, KWIN already supports like ninety percent of Wayland, right. and so. Um, but I, you guys, none of you use plasma. I do. I mean. I've started over the last year dabbling in KDE. As I said, I've uh, it wasn't something I ever really did before. Um, as I said, Ferrin, which I've got on this machine, runs KDE, um, but it's still on X. I don't think there's a Wayland session. Maddeningly, um, well, for people like me, if you're running the on Arch. You guys force me into this every time. Do you not, um, Bill? Do yeah, I do. Bill? Yeah, oh I'm, I'm not God, taking responsibility I... for this anymore. Um, <laughs> but I had if no you're... idea that you ran Arch, no well, idea. Well, it it defaults to Wayland now on Arch. The the whole it actually works better on Wayland Plasma now. But if you're running an application that's not Wayland ready, you don't. The the um, little application icon will be the little yellow W, meaning it's like yeah. I, I'm, I assume it's there to tell you that you're running a non Wayland application. X Wayland, yeah, yeah. And, but it doesn't it doesn't say X Wayland though, which is which also drives me nuts. It, it's just a W. A, an well, what are you w. running? What are you running, man? You're running Wayland. Um, well, one one program was listen to me program. Um, there's there's a uh, app on there called Package Browser, which is just a GUI for searching for the packages that you want, and then you can copy and paste into the terminal. Wait a minute, you're telling me you run Arch, but you don't manually search for packages using I do, Yay but if I'm Pac-Man if I'm, or something. Uh, if, if I know what I want, I'll just I can type it in and no problem. But if yeah, I'm Pac-Man like Pac-Man S whatever your thing, yeah, exactly. It's so or easy. Yay. I know. Yay is yay is a little bit easier. Yeah, you don't even have can... to do an S on that. You just yay yeah. whatever, right? Right. Yes. Yeah, see, I'm I'm discovering all this for the first time, and it's it is. I understand why so many dis. I understand why so many distros are Ubuntu based now. I do understand. Uh huh. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, I, I'm not trying to say anything bad. I'm just saying that because so many are Ubuntu based, it means you've got so many transferable skills. You already know, you know. The, well, and a lot more of the work is done for you. Yeah. You take a distro like Manjaro and you're going to base it on Arch. You still got a lot of work to do to yeah. present as I'm learning, know, yeah. as I'm something learning. Uh, palatable for normal people to use. So, you know, all that is all that is done for you and something based on Ubuntu. So. But yeah, you you do know right away when you're running things on Plasma. But that being said, you know, as far as the way the desktop behaves on Wayland, um, I've noticed that it it scales everything so quickly. And that's also that laptop is also one of those Optimus. Um, it's got the built-in uh, Intel GPU, and then also the NVIDIA thing. Oh right, and it. Uh, offloads the rendering splendidly. I mean, it really it runs everything it can in uh, uh, in the integrated Intel chip. But then you've got access, like on OBS Studio, you've got access to the uh, Inven- NVIDIA encoder. So that's hardware encoding, you know, right out of the box. And then if you're running Steam, then it just uses your uh, 
NVIDIA GPU um, brilliantly. And I did not have that well of an experience when I was using it for X, because I've had this machine for about six, seven years now. And all your desktop elements scale correctly, because it's also a 15-inch 4K screen, if you can imagine that insanity. Um, and so it, you do it at two, 200%, though, right? Well, I lately, because of Audacity, um, I use... Are you having I, problems with Audacity, Bill? Oh, I didn't know about that either. So if you try to use Audacity with <laughs> with 4K and then 200%, you'll get this when the uh, playhead is going across the screen. You got that green line. It'll trail green lines all the way across the, str- the oh, screen. Oh, that's nice. And it's, and it's all a, a scaling issue. So if you turn it to 1080p instead at 100%, you've got the exact same, as far as I can tell, the exact same picture, but you don't have that problem of uh, scaling. And maybe, you know, when when the uh, fabled new version of Audacity comes out that we keep hearing about, uh, maybe all these things will be worked out. But The problem is WX widgets. It was never made uh, yeah. to, to deal. The toolkit that Audacity is built on top of was not made for any of this stuff. And it's old. So, you know, swapping out the toolkit to make it work on modern desktops and not not just Linux desktops, modern all of them desktops. Yeah. Uh, is going to be a fantastic thing, and you get a facelift with it. So I'm really excited for that. Uh, not that I look oh, at I it that wait. much, but so Eric, on the so I haven't used many Fedora or Fedora spins or anything based on Fedora. So part of my ignorance. But did you have any? I vaguely remember that they don't have proprietary drivers and codecs and whatever out of the box. I mean, it's relatively easy to add them. I think that the RPM Fusion uh, okay. repo. Okay, you can't yeah. say RPM Fusion is relatively easy because most people don't know what they're doing when they're copying yeah, and no, okay, those fine, commands I'm just into trying... the command line. <laughs> so Fedora, Fedora now uh, is making it easier on people to use it as just sort of a general use desktop. It used to be pretty hard line where it was like only FOSS software. Yeah. And if you wanted anything outside of that, you had to manually add a bunch of repos. And then, yes, you went through and added specific things. I wouldn't say that if you were a proficient Linux user, it was anything outside of the realm of like normal use of a, a terminal. And it, it wasn't like, oh my goodness, I'm like editing a bunch of config files. And no, like it's as hard as like adding a PPA. Yeah. yeah. It really, it really wasn't that difficult. It was just knowing you don't what have you to restart to the machine after adding a PPA. Right. Well, but the but the new way of going about it is right within the installer. They ask you, "Do you want to enable that's external nice. repositories?" Yeah. Hmm. And that's going to give you at least some of that stuff that you that you need. Now, the nice thing about running this is it's just Intel. It's an Intel chip and it's an Intel uh, GPU. It's all just you know the drivers are just there. When I'm on an NVIDIA system, yeah, then you got to go, you know, get the NVIDIA driver. It's, it could be, and there's a couple different ways of doing it, depending on how you want to set it up. If you're using it for CUDA type stuff and, you know, compute power, then you want to probably go this route. Yeah, you got CUDAs. And then <laughs> if you uh, go, you know, just a standard sort of hybrid route, then that could be a certain one. So it's still not like cut and dried. It's not as easy as installing Ubuntu and like just getting on with your life. Um but I think they have made some pretty big strides to making it a much more user-friendly experience. It's halfway um, between having to set stuff up in Endeavor, an Arch-based uh, distribution, yeah. 
and Ubuntu, a fully ready-to-go distribution. It's somewhere right. in between. Uh, but my favorite thing about Fedora is that they beat Arch to the punch, like, all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I love the Fedora has to – they they jump ahead, right? They, they took the almost lead on Pipewire. They take the, the lead on Pipewire. You know, they're taking the lead on Wayland. They, this is what they do. They sort of push – and that's the point of Fedora, if you think yep. about it, in terms of its place within the Red Hat, Red Hat ecosystem – you know, that's where the new technology lives. They bring it in there. They've got a pretty wide user base of, and technical user base. That's another thing that Fedora yeah. can boast that a lot of distros don't is that a pretty large percentage of their users are developers, are, you know, sysadmins, are people who are like pretty, you know, serious computer users um, versus, you know, Mint who's probably got some of those people, but a lot of sort of, what were we calling them? Normies, normals, whatever. Um, so Fedora, they put out a new cutting edge technology to the people who are most able to absorb that and give quality, qualified feedback and hash it out. And then that goes downstream. And then pretty sudden, all of a sudden, you know, within a couple of releases, you start to see it you know, whatever they, they're sort of breaking ground, I guess is the best yeah. way to say it. It does feel like they're a more curated distribution for a more technical crowd. I suppose you do get, it seems like you get the type of person that's a little bit more engaged in the whole bug, uh, filing process. And, you know, yeah, much more likely to, if they encounter a problem to actually follow through on it and try to fix it. Right. Yeah. And they enjoy being the kind of person that enjoys being part of that process, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So, so what differences did you find between the vanilla gnome that's on Fedora to, cause you said you used Ubuntu as well. And Ubuntu's obviously got a skinned version of gnome, you know, with the dock and whatever. Did you find much difference? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, so Fedora, I feel in many ways is a little bit lighter. If that makes sense, um, it it comes with a full set of applications and you know the full desktop environment, uh, but it's very much a showcase for GNOME itself. Like whatever release you're on, you're going to get their welcome screen. They had, Fedora adheres very closely to whatever GNOME's trying to you know sh showcase for that release. Uh, well, not just that they they, work. they only make one change to to GNOME. They add their own watermark. That's it. That and it just has Fedora down at the bottom. That is the only addition, as far as I understand, that they make. Yeah, and I think that's because they work so closely with those that team. Uh, right. It's not like they're just pulling it cold off the shelf and working with it. Like this is a very collaborative. Like GNOME needs some place to land. Right. A new release needs a stable base to land on to get out into the world, and that's not going to be an Ubuntu derivative or an Ubuntu. You know, that's going to be Fedora. And then Fedora is going to support that and then also bring in these new technologies. Yeah. And that's the beautiful part is it's sort of a melting pot of like cutting edge everything. And they update and release fast enough that they keep pace with it. So it's not a rolling release, but it's it's fast anyway. Yeah, you know, I think, it's very I cutting think the, edge. the release cadences of Gnome and Fedora are the way they are because the other needs the other. So yeah. you're you're getting these six months six month releases on Fedora because Gnome needs that landing spot. Yeah, and, well, and the beautiful true part too is if you sorry, go ahead. I was gonna, I was just going to ask, isn't it true that many uh, GNOME developers are also Fedora developers, and then likewise the opposite? 
I think. I'm not sure about that, but maybe. I, I don't know, but my, I, it makes sense if that would be. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least or at contributing. Least I don't Red know. Red Hat be developers. Like, yeah. yeah. What about from a the usability nice thing, point um, of view? What about from a usability point of view? You know, vanilla gnome versus a skinned gnome. So you have to be willing to do it the gnome way, right? That's kind of like the, you know, every, everything has a way and, you know, like as, as in terms of a saying, right? And, and honestly, I think the gnome way really is a true saying. It's, it's so different in terms of a desktop paradigm. Uh, it's not Mac. It's not Windows. It's not Android or iOS or anything else. It's its own thing. And you they don't really give you a lot of guardrails in terms of like, if you just sit a new user down in front of a gnome session, <laughs> you know, they have to kind of figure it out because it's not as intuitive and straightforward. But that said, it's also not like overwhelmingly complicated. Like it's very sort of intuitive once you sort of put yourself, once you stop thinking of it as in terms of Windows and Mac and just start thinking of it in terms of here's a screen, like what were we saying? Like what, what is a good desktop experience, right? It's to get out of your way. And that's really what they're trying to do is get out of your way. Now, if you're coming from and you have this preconceived notion of Windows or Mac OS or whatever, it can be a little uncomfortable because I don't have Windows controls. I don't have a taskbar. I don't have a tray. I don't have like all these sort of conventions that you're used to. And I still contend that the tray is one thing that's hard to get rid of because a lot of applications yeah. like Telegram and Discord and other things expect that tray to be there. If you're on GNOME and you close Telegram, you didn't close it. It's still there, but you can't get to it now unless you open it again. It's, it's a, it's, so there's some, it's the paradigm doesn't exactly translate, you know? Um, but if you take the time and also I'll contend if it's the right experience, right? It's the right piece of hardware. That system, that approach to a desktop makes a heck of a lot of sense. I, I want to go back um, a little bit because um, you were kind of comparing uh, GNOME to, to Mac and, and Windows. I, and I'll grant you the Windows one, but I, I think a Mac user could sit in front of GNOME. And if you told them, ah, it's pretty much like Mac, they'd figure it out. They'd know exactly what, what to do, how to move around, how to get to apps and things like that. Uh, it's but, that initial getting to the apps because there's nothing on the screen. Yeah, right. Yeah. You've got the, the the bar at the top with your activities, time, and then the system tray, and then you've got sort of a blank screen. Yeah, and that's it. You know, so to get to that first application, you got to kind of think, okay, what do I do here? But yeah. once you get, get past that, I think the the double swipe, the double three finger swipe up is the hardest thing to uh, to remember to do if you're coming from Mac because there's there's no equivalent to Mac in in Mac uh, to something like that. Um, they've got the I think it's called Launchpad. You just hit that button, all the icons come up. Uh, there's there's uh you you can kind of do that in in GNOME, right? Um, there's a top corner, corner, isn't there? There's a top co uh, hot corner. Not by that's, that's how. Okay. Not not in no, I mean, GNOME. Hit... There's not. If you if you go to activities, and I think intuitively someone might think, okay, well, what's on the screen for me to click? I don't necessarily think the clock's going to do anything. I don't need the volume controls or the yeah. networking. So what's this activities thing? You click that, and all of a sudden, okay, I've got my screen overview, and if I have any applications that are open, they're going to be shown there. But then I've also got the taskbar at the bottom, 
And then there's this little icon that the shows, you know, six, d six dots or whatever, nine dots. And if I click that, oh, okay, well, here's all my applications. I, so I guess what I'm saying is that it wouldn't take a reasonably proficient computer user very oh, long. Oh, no, not at all. To figure out. No. I mean, because we all, we all use the super key. <laughs> you, know, you know who gets on great with GNOME? Kids. Bill. I gave I gave Pop OS to my kids a couple of years ago on some old laptops, and they just within minutes were right into it and had it going. I asked them, "Are you guys doing okay with this?" You know, because we're all of us in the Linux world. You know, we like to give GNOME a little bit of crap here and there for breaking the desktop paradigm, as they say. And but yet, kids, they just—I mean, they just fly right into it. I don't know. And then the touchscreen thing we were talking about a little bit ago, mm -hmm. they are expecting touchscreens on laptops because yeah. they went trying to use that and it wasn't it wasn't working on the laptops I gave yep. them. And that's because the laptops they use at school are little ThinkPads with the yep. flip around touchscreen on them and that. So that's kind the of interesting. And back, I, yeah. I wonder, anecdotally, I think that that might be just an example of somebody without a lot of the old baggage from using the old versions of windows or what have you, you know, they're coming clean and, you know, well, really their ex only experience with a user interface is the phones or the tablets. So, so the other side of this is this came with windows 10, um, which had a reasonable touch experience. Like I could do things that had an on-screen keyboard. I can get to pro, you know, different programs and whatever, but it was still very much a windows desktop. Right. There wasn't a lot of difference. It just happened to be able to get the things with touch. Right. It didn't, it wasn't like Windows 8, which totally transformed into like a touch interface. Um, and then I upgraded to Windows 11 because I've been using Windows 11 anyway. And I've, and you know, they said that's a better touch experience and it is. Uh, but it's still a Windows desktop. Um, the taskbar tends to shrink down. It'll, it'll just kind of get out of the way, give you more space. And you got to kind of swipe up to get to it. And then you can switch apps there. It's actually not a bad experience. Um, but I overall found the GNOME approach, I think a little easier and a little more sort of, it, it made better use of the space on the screen. Um, it definitely got out of my way more. Um, yeah. It, so, I, but I guess the, the point I was trying to make too, is that it's interesting that Windows 11 is becoming more looks more like a smartphone smartphone UI. There's a lot of like sort of rounding, big, you know, lots of padding and space and so that you can easily get to stuff. So the fact that, you know, sort of leaned in that direction anyway, and now mm -hmm. other things are sort of also going in that direction, it's maybe they were a little ahead of the game. Uh, I don't know. So what you're saying is Windows 8 should have just stayed the course, man, and then they would be fine. That is interesting because it's like Windows uh, Windows succumbed to all of the negative press that 8 and 8.1 had and all this this failed idea that everything was going to be a tablet and they kind of yeah. backtracked you know, in a way. You know, you got your yeah. regular desktop, but you still got the live tiles. Well, now they've realized apparently yeah. that those tiles aren't worth a damn either. So I loved those tiles. Those tiles I love those tiles. I, I'm one of these weirdos that actually... Quite when like you're running Windows pie hole and things, they just don't work. Um, or at least that that was my experience. So yeah, I'm kind of yeah. glad. So yeah, I'm one of those weirdos that actually quite liked Windows 8. 
an 8.1 because I did quite, I did have a touch screen at the time and I did quite like some of the gestures and stuff. Um, I actually, um, I think they were just, it was too much too soon. And whilst you can make the, um, you can say that, well, Linux users are proficient in technical people most of the time. And if they don't like something, they'll just move on to something else. Most people using Windows are not. And so for the normies, like we were talking about, it was too much and it was too quick. Yeah. And, and the, there, there needed to uh, be a campaign to introduce people to the Windows button. Because if you knew about the Windows button, if you knew yeah. that that was going to launch the, the main menu, the start menu, yeah. then there would not have been the same outcry of, oh, God, Windows is unusable. How do you even get to anything? I mean, yeah. that's what it was. If you could push the button, you'd be fine. Yeah. And so, unfortunately, what the Microsoft then just did, as I said, is that they just rolled back on all of that um, and then found themselves almost starting again. So like you know, well um, they did the Windows. they did the Vista thing. They they lost like k- people's attention with eight, and when they fixed it in eight point one, everybody already hated eight, so it didn't yeah. matter what they did. Yeah, but eight point one was all right actually. The well, it you know the only main thing that they did that that got com- conversion, they just put the button back. Yeah, instead of having to like go down into the corner and then it would show up, they just put the button there, and that was. That was good enough for a lot of people. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the channel Tech Alter. Yes, Tech Alter. Yes, he's a yeah. He's a, he does some really nice. Uh, yeah, he does almost like video essay type stuff on technology. But he did one recently on the slow death of Windows. Yes, I saw and that. That was really yeah, interesting. Yeah, really good stuff. And it basically talks about exactly about this, where it was like <clears throat> Windows. Microsoft has tried to position Windows. As time has gone on, you know, they've done things with, with touchscreen and they were convinced that touch was going to be it. And that's what led to Windows 8, all the effort that they put into that. And then they realized, well, no, that's not going to be it. And then all the effort they had to remove that stuff, yet there was still cruft from that left over. And then they went towards virtual reality, like virtual VR was going to be the thing. And so, you know, HoloLens and all of that programming and coding that went into that that wasn't insignificant in any stretch of the imagination so now and then that sort of was like okay well that's not going to be it and they pulled that out and just sort of trying to position themselves but he does a a really great job i'm not not advertising for him but it was probably the best explanation of like why windows is the way it is yeah uh over the last 10 15 years so yeah no i mean that he, he has some very good um and interesting uh uh, videos. I remember there was one about um, why enthusiast brands will always let you down. Um, well, I, I think I think which I Windows was a really just, good one. It's a couple of years old that one, but it's a good one. Yeah, I yeah. think Windows should have just stayed the course with all the decisions that they made. They're they're lamenting now. I think uh, Nadella now said they shouldn't have dropped the Windows Phone when they did. Yeah, I was, I was going to mention that. Yeah, that came out this week, wasn't it? That they. I mean, it, it was so close to gaining enough market share. It was so. Yeah. It got good. It yeah. got no. Really it was good. good. It I had, was good. I had, I had a, one as well. I had one yeah. and I I really enjoyed it. I remember going to Best Buy and standing there and looking at the different things, you know, iPhones and Androids and the Windows phone and being the Windows phone was very compelling with the the way that the navigation was, the UI, the tiles, like it was I very very close to buying that. And I could see yeah. that if they would have stayed in the game 
that they would have been a contender. And then they transitioned just, to the surface, and now they're they're trying to slowly kill what the surface was. Yeah. I remember using the Windows phone as an alternative to the BlackBerry because I always wanted the more serious tools back then. And BlackBerry, it's difficult to understand fully what went wrong with that because you, BlackBerry was a proper performant device. Um, I think they people are going to be talking about market. Black. People are going to be talking about BlackBerry for years. I mean, it's going to. I mean, there's already been a film on it. I reckon it'll be the kind of thing that ends up in humanities degrees and people's PhD theses of, you know, how does a company go from such a strong position to being dead? You know, well, how do you a, how do you withstand the disruption of something like iPhone to your business? <clears throat> yeah. You know, because that new shiny that had substance behind it. it wasn't just a flash in the pan. It wasn't just, uh, you know, a, a diversion. It was a new way, like an actual real new way of doing this. Uh, and, but what I remember during that time was that there were so many people that were so devoted to BlackBerry and the form factor and the slide out keyboard and the physical keys and yeah, being able to really type, you know, yeah, like type long form stuff. Um, and, I've, I'm pretty sure like it had to be a high percentage of the executives and managerial types that loved those devices. And yeah, the fact that they just, they tried to, you know, do these weird quasi touch, you know, you remember those weird models that sort of like they, they tried yeah, the storm anything. and all yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just didn't that work. was a selling point for me because it had that, that kind of that track ball and it wasn't a ball. It was like a, what do you call that thing where you can move your thumb on it and it had a proper yeah, cursor yeah, track ball. where yeah. you could point and click. And, <laughs> but I mean, it wasn't a mechanical ball. It just kind of tracked the movement, just like a yeah, touchpad yeah, yeah. or something. Yeah, and then yeah, you yeah. hit the button. And that was, to me, that made more sense because I was, you know, again, I'm from the old paradigm of Windows well, yeah, 95 I mean, and, you had, you and all that. You had fully embraced the touchscreen. But touch I remember. Belongs places. Yeah, yes. And uh, I remember thinking at the time, well, BlackBerry's always going to have better security. They're going to have a better security story. Because if you remember when uh, Obama came into office, there was a story where he wanted an iPhone and the, the Secret Service wouldn't let him have one. Because the Blackberries had better security, or at least that was their opinion. I don't know, and that might not be the case now. But at the time, I remember thinking, "Well, yeah, that's that makes sense," you know, because that's a that's a phone that's made for serious people. It's not a toy. And well, it took a long time for Apple to get to gain acceptance in the corporate environment. Because yeah, it just well, didn't the, have the tools. It was it was apps, man. That was the thing. That's why BlackBerry failed. It was yeah. apps. It absolutely it is. wasn't yeah. because of the the they were hanging on to the keyboard too long because there's still people that ask for that stuff today. It wasn't because of the little trackball and it wasn't because of the operating system. It was because of the apps. When the apps moved over to iPhone, iPhone won. Yeah. And that's the same thing that they were uh, talking about with the um, what Satya Nadella you know said about Windows Phone that you know if they just paid yep. the big services. Look, we'll pay you money. Bring Instagram to Windows Phone. Bring yeah, but Snapchat they already to had, Bring Phone. Didn't they uh, have the the compatibility layer with Android at that point? That was Where later. You could run Android on. apps. That was later. Yeah. Well, that's when I was looking at it because that made oh, okay. it so. Yeah that that made it attractive to me because then at that point the apps weren't an issue. It was just like, well, that doesn't matter anymore. Well, I mean, even BlackBerry had a translation. 
perception well. of, of the Windows phone had already solidified, just like perception of Windows 8 had already solidified. And there's nothing you can yeah. do at a certain point. Yeah, and it's you too can, little, you can, too late. Yeah, you can have all of the apps without a translation layer. They could all be there, but people have moved on, and it's too late. Well, I suppose we should probably wrap this up. Well, let um, me finish with this. We need apps on oh. Linux, so stop worrying about how you how they get on here. Uh, and stop worrying about which apps come over, and if you decide you want to agree with uh, that app coming over to our ecosystem. Because it looks like Adobe. There's There's hope. How big of an oh. issue do we really think this is? I mean, I don't want to get us into another long protracted discussion, but like, but we will. I just, I just don't see it as being not nearly as big as an issue as it was t- certainly ten years ago, but oh, even it's maybe not. five years ago. Like, what's left besides design, video tools, maybe some audio? So beyond creatives, work tools that do not exist on the web. That's what's left. Okay. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I always hear people say, well, AutoCAD and uh, Adobe. Work. Work. And, uh, yeah, exactly. Like video editing tools, you know. Work. Vegas and all this other stuff like Pro Tools and even. Work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yeah. but that's such a small, I mean, you think about the overall computer yeah, but think about that, base. Though. If you were, if you use a computer at work all day long, you're very familiar with it. And if for some reason you go home and you want to be on a computer again, it is it is not a um, a small thing to have the same exact environment that you know how to use and know how to work with at right. home too. Right. It drives no, a I don't whole disagree. lot. Yeah. But I just I just think that the number of arguments for well, I can't use it because I don't have A, B, or C. Oh, gaming! I guarantee it. Um, I had a friend that that was like full on. Let's go Ubuntu, and um, is having to abandon it because League of Legends doesn't play. So, one application is going to push him away. And we've come a long way as far as that goes, but it's yeah. still yeah. just Steam. I mean, a lot of your serious gamers—they're getting their games from uh, the GeForce Now and the uh, Xbox Game Pass and all that stuff, which. Yeah. You know, technically may be able to work somehow or another with Proton, but there's really nothing out there to make that usable or to get it up and running for normal people, you know, or normies. Sorry. They've made a whole lot of progress, and I'm really proud of that, and I'll probably end up with a Steam Deck eventually. Yeah. But but I've I've just moved to a PlayStation, so. Yeah. Uh, Real quick before we get out of here, I want to announce I have – I'm in the process, well, I have for like the last three episodes, been uh, uploading our episodes to our hosting platform called Red Circle, but I've simultaneously been uploading to uh, archive.org with the long-term goal of uh, not using Red Circle at all anymore. But I think it's going to mean that I have to... um, I have to make a new RSS feed because the the RSS feed for now is it points towards Red Circle. If um if I go full full on to the archive.org which is the goal then everybody's going to have to uh reload or research for the RSS feed. Um right now it's going to both places. If you are listening to the show on your device it's uh it's coming from red circle if uh 
you are listening from the website, which I'd be interested to know how many people do that. Uh, the website is getting, it's getting the audio straight from archive.org. And of course, the reasoning I'm wanting to do that is just to have ownership of the RSS feed, but also I'm not a hundred percent sure I trust, uh, these third party, uh, podcasting platforms when it comes to the intellectual rights and all that stuff that they have for these for these shows when i set it up i did not know how to handle all those things now i just basically i'm using a uh a plug-in on the wordpress site and it it's it's actually brainless once you wrap your head around it yeah my my um, vote would be to uh to have a grace period of maybe at least three episodes yeah. where we have both rss feeds that are active and you know Whichever one you choose, you'll be good. And at the beginning of every show, we need to we need to hey, uh, if you haven't changed your RSS feed, change your RSS feed. Right, and that's that's what I'm going to do here in the next week. Is I'm going to set up that second RSS feed. Then I'm going to cool. I'm going to just keep uploading to both for a while, and then at some point, we're going to be warning everybody on every episode. Hey, you know, if you haven't moved over to the other RSS, go ahead and do that. Um, the other thing that's irritating me is I've I've opted out of the ads because some of you may remember uh, before Majid and Eric was on the show, we were kind of playing around with dynamically inserted ads and it was irritating and spooking some people out. And honestly, it was kind of out of place for a Linux podcast because it was the kind of ads that were feeding people things that kind of creeps people like us out. Like there was one story where a guy was driving past a uh, police academy in Australia, and he got an ad as he was driving by for the recruitment division of the Australian Police Department. So, or, no, that's some or, targeted advertising right yes, there. Yes, and I thought to myself, you know what, uh, we're getting like maybe, we were getting like 4 or $5 a month out of that, and that is nowhere near enough money to justify putting our listeners off like that, so... Yeah, I I put the kibosh on it. But the the irritating part is even when you disable it during the process of uploading to the service, it still takes you to the screen where it tell you know asks you where you want to place the ads and then I have to I have to click out of that, you know, which is maddening to me. So so what you're saying is we're going to have uh mattress and hello fresh commercials my god it was everything for i mean it depended no, on you're gonna read them though yeah I, hmm. <laughs> that's a bit of a stretch goal but this Do episode like is sponsored cook? by hello fresh yeah HelloFresh. do you like to cook but you don't like to think hello fresh shows up on a lot of different types of podcasts i'll tell you that i think joe Rizikton even read one yeah at he some does point. yeah yeah he does yeah. <laughs> That's a, so that, that's what that, that's when I thought to myself that you know Joe Resington is sold out. <laughs> and I and I thought to myself Joe Resington you know, likes money to survive. Well, you know, fair enough. I'm just taking the me. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Uh, so I, you know, my first thing was, well, I'm not going to make the kind of money. I'm not even going to make enough to pay for the for the domain name. Then it's it's not even worth having. So I got rid of that. So if that's the case, then we might as well be on a platform that is. Um, that is respect respecting the uh creative commons license 
uh, such as what we use to make these episodes. So that is what's happening in the near future. It's actually been a thing for a while. I just haven't said anything. Um, but we'll we'll start announcing that, reminding everybody on every episode. Nothing to worry about right now, but uh, we will let you know, so watch the space. Anyway, that's all I've got. Um, if there's nothing else, we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, let us know what you guys think. You can you can uh, get a hold of us directly on the website or email show at linuxotc.org. Don't forget um, the Mastodon. The, yep, we got the Mastodon, which is more, uh, it's getting more use than I thought. Um, but, you know, Twitter's a nightmare right now. I don't even know if it exists anymore. Um, the artist formerly known as Twitter. Yeah, I thought about that when they when that whole thing started. I like, hey, yeah, this reminds me of that whole thing with Prince. But anyway, see you in two weeks. Until that time, I've been Bill. I've been Eric. Well, I'm supposed to and be. Here's where it falls apart. <laughs> no, because I one of us abstains Leo. from from participating. Yeah, let Eric. No, or let, no let, I won't do it. <laughs> see you, folks. Uh-huh.